We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Welcome to Face Connecticut, an in-depth look at today's issues. Good morning and welcome to another edition of Face Connecticut on WTIC News Talk 1080, 96.5 TIC-FM and Light 100.5 WRCH. Aaron Kupek with you this Sunday morning, and we are pleased to be joined by Betsy Guerra, Executive Director of COST, the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. Good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Your group represents about 116 towns and small cities across Connecticut. Give us a sense of what municipal governments are doing this time of year. A lot of them have just elected new leadership. Right. There are a lot of newly elected first selectmen and mayors, and so they'll be sworn in either this week or next week. Some have a little different time frame. There are also a lot of new selectmen on the boards, new board of finance members, board of education members. So they're in a, a real transition period at this point. Is it too early to start thinking about municipal budget season? Not at all. In fact, we have a lot of towns that are already beginning discussions about their municipal budgets. And in particular, there's a lot of concern this year because we're still waiting for funding. Funding that was promised last session still hasn't delivered. The legislature, although they did a budget on time, they neglected to actually adopt a bond package. And unfortunately, a lot of municipal aid is tied up in the bond package. So town aid road funding, which amounts to $60 million per year, has not been authorized in the bond package. And towns are scrambling, trying to figure out what to do uh, as they prepare for winter. What sort of projects do towns use that funding for? The funding is used for a variety of projects. Towns are responsible for more than 17,000 road miles, and that's four times more than the state. And so they're responsible for funding any kind of repaving, reconstruction of roads, bridges, culverts, any kind of traffic signals, traffic control, parking systems, etc. All of that falls under the town aid road. In addition, towns can use it for plowing, road salt, uh, tree trimming, which is a big issue right now, tree removal, and those are things that have to be done. And towns could not wait until the funding came, so they went ahead and scheduled a lot of these pro- uh, projects. But unfortunately, as the winter weather approaches, I think people are getting really nervous about what that means in terms of preparation. In addition to preparation, I'm guessing if they were using this money to maybe pave roads, that's no longer an option for the rest of the year because asphalt plants are closing, right? Right. So towns, even though they knew they weren't getting their town aid road funding in July, as they typically do, they had to do the road paving because the asphalt is only available for a small window of time. And so they did move ahead with those projects. But we honestly thought that funding would be available by now. And certainly towns are going to end up having to do the plowing and the road salting because public safety is one of their top priorities and protecting residents, making sure the roads are safe, that's not going to go away. But what it means is that projects that they may have been planning to initiate this spring 
um, are going to end up having to be postponed because they're not sure whether or not that funding is going to be available. Sometimes the roads may end up falling into a little more disrepair, whether or not they're going to have the funding to replace those repair those potholes in the spring. I mean, those are all kinds of things that are raising red flags with our smaller communities. What are you hearing from the Capitol as to why this funding is being held up? Is it tied to the governor's transportation plan? That's our understanding, is that it has been directly tied to the transportation plan and whether or not there will be tolls. And I think that's unfortunate because, again, Towns have to do a lot with very little resources, and they have been waiting for this funding. They have been told that it's coming, and yet it it hasn't been authorized. And this is only one pot of money. In addition, there's also the local capital improvement funding, which which helps fund other kinds of building and infrastructure projects in our communities. All of these things speak to public safety, but they also speak to our quality of life and our economic development strategies. So right now, towns are trying to grow their grand list because residential construction is down. They're seeing flat or or reductions in their grand list, and they want to try to enhance economic development opportunities, attract businesses here, support the businesses that are currently here. And to do that, you really need to make sure that you have a quality, safe infrastructure in place. And that may be jeopardized right now. Various cities and towns have taken positions on tolls. Does cost have a position on tolls? We have not taken a position at this time. Our board is meeting on the 19th, and we are going to be discussing the proposal. The governor's office is planning on attending to answer any questions. So there will be a lot of discussion. And there's certainly going to be a variety of opinions, because if you're from those towns where they see that transportation gridlock has really affected the business community, the commute times, et cetera. I think they're going to be more um, focused on, well, what can we do to solve this problem? I think everybody feels that the governor's proposal has a lot of merit in terms of identifying those transportation projects that are critical, that we need to address in order to enhance the overall transportation system, repairing the bridges, things of that nature. But the issue of whether or not tolls are the vehicle for funding that, I think, is going to be subject to debate within our organization. Is it your understanding that cities and towns that have a, a toll gantry in their community under the governor's plan get any sort of incentive to have that? I think... If you're looking at the projects that have been identified in the plan, there may, in fact, be an incentive to having that in place. So that's something that we will be discussing as well. Now, there are proposals out there, including the governor's, to use some bonding money to, to help repair the transportation system. Are cities and towns worried that that might crowd out funding for other things that are important to cities and towns? Well, that's always a big concern, whether or not the municipal aid gets crowded out by other needs. So we'll be paying close attention to that. Townie Road, for a number of years, was actually part of the general fund. It wasn't until recently that it was moved to the bond package. And at that time, we were very nervous that it was going to mean that, you know what, we were going to be sitting around waiting to see whether or not the bond commission authorized the release of the funding. And unfortunately, that's 
been the case in in the past couple of years. And so we need to have a serious conversation about whether or not those programs should be bond funded. I know that the governor is very interested in reducing the state's bonded indebtedness um, because I think that that would go to providing greater predictability to towns. There's been a lot of talk about overall municipal aid, and if you look at last year's budget, they actually increased municipal aid by about $54 million. But when you look at that, the majority of that funding did not go to our smaller communities. It went to the cities. And so our towns, our small towns, have actually seen a reduction of municipal aid from about 1% to 2% in the last year. And this is at the same time where costs for all kinds of things are just going up every year, including salaries, pensions, benefits, um, road construction, you name it. Everything has been going up, and yet municipal aid has been flat funded for our small towns for a number of years. So we need to make sure that we are providing our towns with some predictable, stable revenue streams so that they can plan for these future projects. They can plan for the future of their communities. Would predictability be atop your list of uh, legislative priorities as we enter the 2020 session? Predictability is going to be the watchword for the 2020 session. Not only requiring the state to provide towns with predictable revenue streams, but also addressing some of the costs and making sure those are more predictable. Special education costs, for example, are one of the most unpredictable costs that towns have to deal with. And towns are responsible for 60% of those costs, which are going up 7 to 8% every year. And it's very difficult to budget because you can get one or two students in that have significant needs and end up really just blowing through your budget. Um, we're hoping that there can be mechanisms to address that either on a regional basis or statewide basis so that the burden is not completely or largely on towns to address the needs of our special education students. Another concern cities and towns have is the issue of recycling. For a number of years, that could be a money maker for cities and towns, and now it is costing them because China does not want as much of our recycled goods because they've tightened restrictions on what they will take, right? That's exactly right. Um, recycling was a money maker, and there's very few money makers on the local level. And now it's become a big issue um, because, as you mentioned, China will no longer accept recyclables from the United States because of the level of contamination associated with those recyclables. And so we're struggling to try to figure out how to address this. Last session, cost was very involved in supporting an expansion of the bottle bill, increasing the bottle deposit, um, making sure that the redemption centers had more attractive incentives in order to make them more viable because they're starting to slowly disappear, and also addressing some other things that would help um, recycling in this state. Unfortunately, nothing was passed, but we are hopeful this year that a lot of different organizations, a lot of different interests have come together to try to work together on developing some meaningful recommendations to address this. Have your members started talking about maybe outside-the-box solutions to the recycling crisis, too? Because, as you noted, 
this used to make money for them. And I'm guessing if they were to maybe take fewer items or, or handle them in a different way, they might be able to recoup some of their costs. There's a lot of conversations going on throughout the state, and it's interesting that they're coming at it from very different approaches. Speaker Joe Arasemowitz has actually initiated a Blue Ribbon Commission on Recycling to begin the conversation about how to address this. And there are some municipal representatives. Cost has an appointment to that Blue Ribbon Commission, and we're looking forward to seeing where that conversation leads us. You're listening to Face Connecticut. We are talking to Betsy Guerra, Executive Director of COST, the Connecticut Council of Small Towns, representing about 116 of the 169 communities across Connecticut. How do the interests of COST align with those of the Connecticut Conference of Municipalities? I'm guessing oftentimes you're on the same side of issues. Oftentimes we are on the same side of issues. I think that COST was created in 1975 because they felt that the interests of small towns were being was being crowded out in discussions at the Capitol on budget issues because of the focus on addressing the needs of our cities. And so COST was created to put a very fine point on those issues that directly impact our smaller communities to ensure that we had a big voice at the state capitol. And I think that that's been a, a very successful endeavor on, on COST's part. We have championed things like the resident state trooper program that many small towns rely on to provide public safety services. We're also opposing efforts to mandate school regionalization and consolidation because we were able to explain that this was not going to result in any savings for our small towns, but in fact it was going to disrupt educational outcomes for our students, end up putting kids on the bus for hours at a time, and really do nothing to address some of the, the bigger issues. So I do think that it's important that cost continues to have a strong voice at the state capitol. Um, our small towns are extremely committed to working with the legislature and the governor's office to address these issues. And we're, we're really proud of the work that we've been able to do. Say, for example, a few hundred thousand dollars in a small town's budget. Doesn't mean anything in the state budget, really. For larger cities, it doesn't mean that much. But for a town like Union or Sprague, that's huge, isn't it? It is huge. So you look at the Town Aid Road Grants, for example. The Town Aid Road Grants uh, are based on a formula, formula that looks at road miles. And some of our smaller towns get a couple hundred thousand dollars from the Town Aid Road Grants. It's more than they get in some cases for education cost sharing. So it's a big chunk of money, and it is important. Um, towns smaller towns in particular don't have large commercial bases and so they need to make sure that they can control property tax increases control spending so that they're not overburdening their residents and one of the ways that we can do that is to make sure that when they're thinking about new mandates that they don't do a one-size-fits-all approach thinking well this is going to be a good idea because of the problems that we're having in the cities let's mandate it across the board because what happens is those usually have unintended costs for our small towns and those are generally unnecessary costs and so we need to take a harder look at these proposed mandates and make sure that we really understand what the implications are going to be for our smaller communities. 
Talking about mandates that are already on the books, what are some of the most onerous in, in costs view? We're hearing from a lot of our towns that they are struggling to comply with the stormwater general permit that was adopted a few years ago. It's a five-year general permit administered by the State Department of Energy and Environmental Protection, and it, we're heading into year three, and the requirements are substantial. And so... A lot of it is driven by the federal level, a lot by the state level. But what we're finding is that whenever the state or the federal government tells you to do something, requires you to do something, they also want you to prove it. And one of the biggest problems that our towns have raised regarding the stormwater general permit is the documentation required. So you have to fill out, your public works people have to fill out all kinds of forms uh, regarding the catch basins and what kind of debris that they've found, the amount and days that they've swept the roads, that they've iced the roads, when they've used pesticides, and just reams and reams and reams of paperwork that they're saying, is this really necessary? Because it's frustrating when you know that there's an issue, and towns do want to address stormwater issues because it speaks directly to water quality, um, which are which is important to our, our overall quality of life in our smaller communities. But at the same time, can't we target our resources to addressing the problem instead of documenting everything that we're doing, that documentation that probably no one's looking at. So I think it's, it's things like that that are problematic. In addition, we're paying close attention to the governor's interagency PFAS working group, which has just released a its final action plan. And the action plan calls for testing of water, soil, in areas where there may be known PFAS generators. And PFAS is a, a family of chemicals, some of which have been identified as having significant health risks. And so we're trying to make sure that if there are requirements that the state share in the burden of performing that testing, remediating those areas, such as landfills, fire training schools, airports, where there may be known PFAS generators, that it's not solely put on the backs of our towns to address. Another hot issue for cities and towns is the matter of teacher pensions and who's going to be paying for them and the unfunded liability. Teachers' pension issue is a big issue, um, and the way that it was rolled out several years ago was a nightmare. I mean, they basically asked towns to assume a third of the unfunded pension liabilities, which would have overwhelmed property taxes, taxpayers in our smaller communities. Governor Lamont's proposal was more modest, but it still called on towns to pick up a uh, $73 million in teachers' pension costs uh, going forward. What the big concern is, first of all, what starts as a quarter of the costs of the pension will end up creeping up over time. How are we going to prevent that? And the other thing is they nobody at all was talking about how do we give our towns the ability to control those costs going forward. On the local level, a lot of our towns have moved from these defined benefit pension plans to a 401k plan, which is much more affordable. They've also increased the employee contribution. Nobody was giving, suggested that towns should even have that authority, and that's a big problem. 
So we will continue to oppose any shift in the teachers' pension cost to towns unless they start to have a meaningful conversation about giving towns the ability to control those costs. We're entering the, the second year of the biennium. Do you see that coming back as a proposal, even though it's not really a, a year when they craft a brand new state budget? I think it might come back. I haven't heard that it will, but it keeps creeping up in every year since it was first proposed. Um, it's certainly an issue that the state needs to get its arms around. But I, I think shifting it from the state's balance sheet to the town's balance sheet doesn't do a thing. It doesn't do a thing to address the unfunded pension liability. doesn't do a thing to rein in pension costs. All it does is move it from the state taxpayers to the town taxpayers. So that will be problematic if that's going to continue to be the approach that the state takes. Another issue small towns in particular are grappling with are dead trees and dying trees related to gypsy moths and the emerald ash borer. The dead and decaying tree issue, Cost has been talking about this for a couple of years now. It is a severe problem. There are some communities that along the roadways, there are a number of dead or decaying trees. And you've seen this in the recent storm, uh, high winds. You had Marlboro faced with a lot of down trees, down wires because of the trees. And it's creating some serious public safety concerns. In addition, we have heard from Eversource in some areas that they've exhausted their tree trimming budget for this fiscal year. And as a result, it's going to be on the backs of the towns to try to address some of these issues on their own. Again, the towns are pretty well strapped at this point. And because they haven't gotten their town aid road funding, because sometimes it's difficult even to get the tree removal contractors, um, or the equipment, it's going to be an issue that we continue to face. Is there some sort of law or regulation that spells out who is responsible for what trees, or is it kind of a collaborative effort between the state, towns, and the utilities? They're, the utilities are responsible for the trees in the municipal right-of-way, uh, but the towns are also responsible for the trees along the roadways and in uh, by the schools and in the parks, uh, any areas um, where they are responsible for maintaining those properties. And so it is going to be a bit of a collaboration. But one of the things what we were thinking of in terms of how to address this is we always talk about regional approaches. But one thing we haven't really talked about is how can we enhance the state-local partnership? The Resident State Trooper Program, for example, is a strong state-local partnership. I don't know if you recall, but when when DOT was removing trees along the highways, they had a lot of equipment, a lot of staff. I'm not sure why that uh, those that staff and the equipment can't be used to assist towns in trying to address this problem because they were able to remove a significant amount of trees very quickly. And as you you mentioned, the the state trooper program very beneficial to smaller towns in particular, but it's not as generous as it used to be. It isn't. Uh, when it was first enacted, I think towns only had to pick up sixty percent of the cost, and then that amount crept up, and then the fringe benefit rate that towns are also required to pay also crept up to the point where it was even more than the salary for the the trooper. 
we looked at that program and said, you know, is this going to be, is it worth saving? And we came to the conclusion that yes, absolutely. The resident state trooper program is still the best deal in towns in terms of enhancing your public safety. The legislature did adopt some changes last session that cost had requested to ensure that the state is actually responsible for a greater percentage of that fringe benefit rate. And that was a very welcome change. And so we'll continue to work with the state to make sure that the resident state trooper program is a viable program. If people want to know more about cost, where can they go? ctcost.org. We have a website that has a number of municipal resources available on it and also information about our board of directors and legislative platform. She is Betsy Guerra, Executive Director of Cost, the Connecticut Council of Small Towns. Thanks so much for joining us this morning. Thank you, Aaron. Happy to be here. Thanks for listening to Face Connecticut. I'm Aaron Kupek. Enjoy the balance of your weekend. Face Connecticut is a production of the News and Public Affairs Department of WTIC Radio. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.